All right, good morning. Some of you came in after we got started, so I'm glad you're here. Obviously, things are a little bit different today, but it's all good. You know, we found out that we were losing a couple of band members. It was like, you know what? God must just want to do something different, so let's let him do something different. It's fine. Now, we're having a good time. We're having a good time in this series. We're learning a lot in this series about our relationships, and that's why the series is called As For Me. Maybe you know the old phrase from Joshua. If you've ever, I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but if you've ever been in Hobby Lobby, you know the phrase from Joshua. So you've seen it painted on some sort of palette uh, artwork somewhere. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I mean, you've heard that or seen that. Well, we're talking in this series about our commitment to honoring and serving God in all of our relationships, and we're getting ready for the launch of the Family Center, which Jess mentioned. On September 11th, the Family Center will be starting, and the goal for the Family Center is to equip families to honor God in their relationships through classes, through coaching, and through connections. And so that's what we're doing, and that's for us as a church, but also for our entire community, which is why it's so great to see that the class registrations have started, and we have people from here and a part of our church family in those classes, and we have people from the community that have signed up for those classes who aren't a part of our church family. So that is awesome. And so we're going to make a difference not only here, but we're going to make a difference through our entire uh, community and area. And so we're talking about this commitment to honor God and what that actually looks like in our relationships and through this series, setting up some of the things that we are going to be teaching through the Family Center. And um, even though Joshua said, as for me and my house, he spoke on behalf of his house that they would serve the Lord. We know that in relationships, you don't get to control other people in relationships, right? And we can say, we can make hopes for our family, aspirational statements for our family, but ultimately it's up to us individually to make a commitment for ourselves, all right? But knowing that in a relationship, of course, to use the old phrase, it does take two to tango, all right? You can tango on your own if you want to, but I don't want to see it, okay? It takes, it takes two, and I was going to do it up here, and I was like, no, they don't want to see that. So uh, it takes two to tango. So you, can, you are responsible for you, and then we want to lead and inspire and influence those in our family to make the same commitment. And hopefully in many of your families, that is the commitment, that among you, you have said, as for us, we will serve the Lord. And maybe you've been having some of those conversations as we've been going through the series, been encouraging you to have that conversation with your spouse or with your kids or with your parents or your brothers or sisters or whoever, and say, is this what we want to do? Is this ultimately the goal? Uh, we talked about how our goal, the point is to serve God in our relationships. It's not to serve ourselves in our relationships, which is what most people default to. It's not even to serve the other person in the relationship, even though that's better than just serving ourselves. Ultimately, it's to serve God in the relationship. And when we serve God in the relationship, the result is that we serve others and we ourselves are served. But the goal is to serve him. So we're an open book. And we think about the big picture. What is God doing in this relationship? Last week, we talked about how all of our relationships are discipleship relationships. And if we think about them that way, it changes the nature of those relationships. And so today, we're going to talk about how to enter into those discipleship relationships as we make this commitment as for me. And to do that, we're going to go to the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Philippians, it is in the New Testament, after the Gospels, all right, it's in the what we call the Pauline epistles. That's, those are the letters that Paul wrote. And um, I'm going to give you a minute to get there. 
Uh, Philippians in particular is written by Paul to the church in a town called Philippi. And uh, he has some encouragements for them and some corrections, of course. But they're in a tough spot, and so he wants to encourage them to stick together. And he really focuses on relationships and fellowship in the book of Philippians. And that's why we're there. All right? And uh, hopefully you're there by now. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, and he's talking to the church family here, and I just want to take a second to point that out. He's talking to the church family in this particular place, but the church family is to relate to each other in the same way any family is supposed to relate to each other. So we can take principles. What we're doing in this series is we're saying, how does God want us to relate to him and to each other as the church? And then now how do we take those principles and apply them to our relationships at home, all right? So he says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, If any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So he's saying the way that you're going to have this this fellowship, this uh, uh, comfort and love, fellowship in the spirit, affection, mercy, is if they are like-minded, of one mind, of one spirit. And that's what we talked about last week, thinking about the big picture in our relationships, being of one mind in our relationships of what our goal is and what holds us together, and that's the consolation in Christ that he mentions here. All right, but then he says this, and this is the key, what we're going to focus on today. All right, he says, you be together, be of one mind, be of one accord, not a Honda. And he says in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Now, these are interesting words that he uses here. Obviously, Paul doesn't write in English. He wrote in Greek, and so he uses words. The first one, selfish ambition. I'm not going to pronounce the Greek word. It doesn't matter. Uh, he, the word he uses there uh, for, that we translate selfish ambition means essentially electioneering for office, running for office. It means to put yourself forward and in putting yourself forward, creating a partisan spirit, okay? So when he says selfish ambition, he means that in this relationship for them in the church, don't consider your relationship in the church a way to get a platform for yourself, a way to be served, to be lifted up, to be honored, and to be glorified. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And then he says also don't do it out of vain conceit or conceit. And the word he uses there means empty vanity or groundless self-esteem. It's just, you know, I'm not going to, you know, dig on anyone. But, you know, sometimes you'll meet people and you're like, they're really proud of themselves. You know what I mean? And I'm not sure I see why. <laughs> so that's what he's talking about. A person who, who elevates themselves, who lifts themselves up on a pedestal. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And now as we think about that in the church, obviously, 
We are not supposed to put ourselves on a pedestal, lift ourselves up above other people, create partisanship. There's lots of issues that have happened in churches over that, and we're certainly not supposed to do it at home either. We're going to talk about uh, how that applies here in just a minute. But this is one of the most important keys to love and unity, is not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Now, you want a good example of this? Paul gives us a great example. It's the next thing that he says. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you. Okay, so as we're reading, I want you to to self-assess right now. I'm self-assessing. I've been doing it all week. Is this the mind that's in me? Is this the way that I think about my relationships? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is Jesus' mindset. Is it your mindset? Verse 6, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So if we can pause for a moment, what he's saying is that Jesus had every right, every right to ask for himself honor and glory. He had every right to put himself up on a pedestal. He had every right to receive all of the credit and all of the honor that anyone would give him. He had every right to hold all of the keys to the kingdom and to, to, to all of the, the glory and the honor because he is part of the Trinity. He is God. And yet he chose He chose to humble himself and become a man. So much so, to to such an extent, that he willingly gave his own life on the cross for you and for me. He did not have to do that. He didn't deserve it, but he chose it. Because he chose humility, and he chose sacrifice, and he chose service. And so he gave his life on the cross for you and for me in our place. And then he rose from the tomb on the third day. And then he returned to heaven shortly after that. And because of his willingness to sacrifice and give his life away and to give his life up when he didn't have to, Then he was exalted. That's what he says next. Verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because he chose to humble himself and to serve us when he didn't have to. He rejected that glory for a time purposefully. He humbled himself. And we, if we want to have the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace, if we want to uh, uh, experience joy and being like-minded, if we want to live in all of that, then we have to make the same choice that he made. We have to make the same choice that he made. 
Because he did that, because he humbled himself, he received glory at the right time. And listen, there is glory waiting in the kingdom of God for those who don't seek it now. There is glory waiting in the kingdom of God for those who don't seek it now. But what we often do in our relationships, particularly the ones closest to us, is that we seek glory through those relationships. They are not a pathway for most of us, for us to glorify God or for us to glorify the other person. They are a pathway for us to be glorified. And so the relationships that we enter into are usually self-seeking, typically. And the only way that we're going to experience the kind of unity and the kind of joy and the kind of peace that we want in our relationships is if we choose humility the way that Jesus chose humility. Paul tells uh, the Philippians this as he continues. Therefore, my beloved, based on this example of Jesus, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with, with trembling. This is, a, this is a phrase that gets talked about a lot by, by pastors and theologians and church people. And what does this mean to work out your salvation? Well, it doesn't mean to earn your salvation, okay? That's very clear. Paul is talking to believers. He makes that really clear. But if you look at the context of this, he has just talked about loving and serving each other and humility. And then after this, he talks about humility again. And so I would assume that this is said in the context of humility, which means when he says, work out your salvation, he means be transformed into the image of Jesus, which is humility. Which is, it's so mind-blowing to me. It's so mind-blowing that Jesus, who doesn't deserve what he got, chose it for our benefit. That kind of sacrifice, that kind of service is awe-inspiring. And it is what God expects out of us as well. And if we want to live and we want to relate in the way he created us to, then it's the choice that we have to make. It's built on the example of Jesus. But anyone can do it. I would venture to say that every successful relationship is based on this. Every healthy relationship is based on this, whether the people in it realize it or not. If you have a relationship where both people are just looking to get out of that relationship, what they're trying to get out of, it may work, but it's not healthy. If you have a relationship where one person is serving and the other person is taking, it might work, but it's not a healthy relationship. Healthy relationships are those where both people humble themselves and serve each other. In fact, and this might be, I don't know if this is controversial or not, you might agree with it right away, but I'll tell you that in my experience, every single relationship problem I've ever had has been because of selfishness. Every single one. I would venture a guess that every single relationship problem you have ever had has been because of selfishness, either by you or by the other person or by both. This is so, 
It's so simple, really. <laughs> it's so simple. It's not a hard concept. Self-centeredness is the kryptonite of love and trust. It just destroys it. You can't, you can't trust, if, if the other person is being selfish, you can't trust them. Because you don't know if what they're doing is for your best interest or for theirs. Or maybe you assume that it's for theirs. If you are self-centered, then you can't trust the person that you're in the relationship with. It breaks down loyalty. It breaks down love. It breaks down unity. Jesus demonstrated it for us. The scripture tells us over and over and over that we're to humble ourselves. But it is so hard for us to do. So hard for us to do. And I'll tell you, for, for, for me, this is my Achilles heel. This is the thing that I struggle with so much because I find that I am so self-centered. And I get so irritated at times with the people in my family. You know this already. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I get yeah, this is fine. I, you just glad I'm saying it publicly in front of everybody? You know, I'm so, or my kids. And it's, and it's, sometimes it's just little things because the things that they do inconvenience me. You know what I'm talking about? And when it inconveniences me, it just like spins me up. It could be something so silly. Like I left that there on purpose. Why did you move it? You know what I mean? I was going to hand, I put it there two months ago, but I, it's because I needed to remember to deal with it, you know? It's the little, and it's, sometimes it's little things and sometimes it's big things, but my problem constantly is being selfish and self-centered and wanting my own comfort, my own ease, my own schedule, my own time. And so anytime somebody else comes in and messes with that, breaks that, takes that away, I get incredibly irritated. It's because I'm selfish and I'm the problem. They are not the problem. The situation is not the problem. I'm the problem. Because I am not choosing to do what Jesus did, which is to humble myself even to the point of death for the people that I love. And if I would learn how to do that better, all of my relationships would be better. And if you would learn how to do that better, all of your relationships would be better as well. The problem is I often live, and maybe you do too, I live as if my family exists to serve me. I mean, that'd be nice, right? <laughs> but it's not the truth. They don't exist to serve me. I exist to serve God by serving them the same way that Jesus did for me. And until I get my head and heart wrapped around that, I'm always going to have problems in my relationships. And until you get your head and heart wrapped around that, you're always going to have problems in your relationships. And maybe you've got some that are happening right now. You're in the middle of them right now. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's not the answer to everything, but it's a start. I want to encourage you to assess that situation and look at yourself first and foremost and say, am I being selfish? Am I being selfish? Or am I behaving the way that Jesus would behave in this same situation? It's a personal commitment to say, as for me, I will give my life away. I will give my life away. 
And honestly, I mean, you say, isn't there a point? Isn't there a point where it's too much? I don't know. Was there a point where it was too much for Jesus? Now, I will say that, that, that we need boundaries and that we need to be careful and that we need to assess the entire situation because we may be making this commitment while the person we're in a relationship with is not making this commitment. And it doesn't mean that we have to set ourselves up to be a doormat or to be run over or taken advantage of or victimized. But simply say, if Jesus were in my shoes right now and he were being the, the humble savior that he is, how would he respond to this person? How would he be thinking and feeling and acting? And say, as for me, I will do that. I will give my life away. It's a, it is a misunderstanding to think that serving or sacrifice is a position of inferiority. It is not. Serving is a position of power. This is the way that God's kingdom differs from this kingdom around us. That power is found in serving and sacrifice and humility in the kingdom of God. You show more power by standing behind someone than you do standing over them. Now, you want to know what that looks like in relationships? Thankfully, Paul gives us some great applications of what it looks like. So I want to go to Ephesians chapter 5, famous verses about relationships, particularly about parenting and marriage. And with this mindset, this humility mindset that he has challenged the Philippians to have, let's see what he says about marriage. And I know not all of you are married, uh, but you can take these same principles and you can apply them to the relationships that you're in. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, before I go on, I, I feel the need to recognize the fact that this is a very controversial scripture. Uh, it's not done yet, okay? <laughs> I think it's important to understand that it is easy for us to read Scripture and to color it with our experience. So to take something that God has said, to take God's truth, and to judge it based on how people have applied it, and that's a mistake. Oftentimes, we read Scriptures like this, and our experience with it was, was it being abused or misunderstood or misused. And because that was our experience, we carry it with us, and then we can easily reject the entire idea because somebody misused it, somebody misapplied it. All of this must be understood in the same humility that Jesus had when he went to the cross. And so we need to put on that mentality even as we're reading this and as we're understanding it. All right, let's keep going. So he speaks to the wives first. How do the husbands, verse 25? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself with a, a glorious church, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. These verses are so misunderstood and so oftentimes rejected by people because what they've seen is people who have tried to apply this pridefully to their life and to their relationships. I I can't help but notice he spends more time talking to the husbands than he does to the wives. And you have to put yourself in their context, in the context where they were then, um, wives disrespecting or not following their husbands was not a problem in general, (laughs) Culturally, they were expected to. That's what everybody knew. That's what everybody experienced. Wives would follow the leadership of their husband because they had to. That was how it was built. That's how it was understood culturally. But they had a massive problem, and I'm not sure much has changed, with husbands arrogantly and pridefully leading their families for their own benefit. And they weren't loving their wives. They were demanding obedience. They were demanding servitude. They were demanding their wives, you know, fall in line and do as they say. They were commanding with an iron fist. And that is not what Paul is talking about here. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, can, I can talk to the guys. That's where I feel like I have, you know, a leg to stand on with this. This uh, passage has been used to defend domineering male leadership in the home from by men who crave crave power and respect and then manipulate sorry it's just so gross <laughs> manipulating scripture to support their selfish ambition listen i have never met anybody who had a problem with following humble leadership but it's so easy It's so easy, particularly, I'm going to say for the guys, it's so easy for us to get a big head and we're the man and we're the leader and we're in control and you do what I say and I'm the authority and, and, you know, the scripture says submit and when I say do this, when I say jump, you say how high and, and to do all of this stuff. And that is not what Paul's talking about. He is talking about humble, sacrificial, loving leadership for the purpose of sanctification, for the purpose of holiness, for the purpose of joy, for the purpose of peace, to take, to, for a husband to take his wife and to say, she's this beautiful thing and I want her to be this beautiful thing that I'm helping to craft and mold so that one day I can hand her back into the hands of Jesus and be proud of who she is. It's a totally different thing. Then this, I'm in control, and I'm the leader, and I'm the thing. That's not what he's talking about. The humility of Jesus. He's talking, this is a cycle of humility in a relationship. In a marriage where the husband is loving and serving and sacrificing himself, and the wife has no question that that is his position and his heart and his attitude and his goal, and when she sees that, she willingly loves and follows and listens and all of those kinds of things. It's this beautiful relationship, not what sin has turned it into. And so we got we to gotta rise above it. We have to say, as for me, I will give my life away. I will give my life away. My responsibility is you. 
to sacrifice and love and serve you and to build the trust and character and all those things so that we can work together in a marriage. And we were talking, we had our little date, impromptu date night last night, and we were talking about this in the car. And here's the thing, you see, like, I'm not setting Jess and I up as an example. Please don't do that. That's, that's not a good idea. All right? We're, we're people, and we have our struggles like anybody else does. But I don't know if you know this. That lady is a powerhouse. Okay? You know it. Like, she, she's like a wolf in the best way. Like, if you need something done, she will go and she will get it done and she will handle it. And my job is not in any way to restrict her or hold her back or tell her what to do or control her or anything like that. My goal is to just aim her and help fire her in the right direction. Right? Usually works out pretty good for me at the same time. But, you know what I mean? So, like, this is, it's, it's, it's an upcycle of a relationship happening. Not, this is not chains. This is freedom. But it only gets experienced when we are humble, and that's a choice. And we're focused, focused on honoring and serving God and honoring and serving him together as we serve each other. I have, you know, I, I know this, this issue of like male leadership or whatever. It's, it's a, it's, there's a whole conversation. But here's been my experience. I have yet to meet a marriage where the husband is loving and serving and sacrificing himself for the wife and the wife has any problem at all following him. I just never experienced that. And I think people's problem with the idea comes out of the misapplication of the idea, not the actual idea itself. And so we have to be able to scrub the sin off of our experience so that we can see the purity of what God is, is showing us, right? It's to love and serve. Before his crucifixion, we're told that Jesus showed the full extent of his love. The full extent. How did he do it? He got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' dirty, gross, disgusting feet. That was the extent of his love. Showing them before the cross where he would really show <laughs> the full extent of his love. That his position was not of one of authority over them, but one of sacrifice and service. And because he served them, because he loved them, they give him honor and glory, and we do today as well. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. And so the key to love is service. The key to love is sacrifice. The key to love is humility. Jesus didn't demand obedience based on his position and then proceed to use his followers for his own gain. That's not what he did. He set an example of love and service. We follow him and honor him to this day because of it. This is purposeful. Why does, why does Paul say that the, the husband and the wife have this relationship? It's so that, she, that they can be sanctified, cleansed, can grow in spiritual maturity. It's because of the bigger picture that we talked about last week. Paul doesn't just talk to the husbands and wives, though. He talks to the children and the parents. Now, you may not have children, but y'all got parents, I would imagine, <laughs> or something like that. He says in chapter 6, children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, kids, uh, you may already have the perspective that your parents think that you exist to serve them. <laughs> like, why do I always have to do chores and do the dishes? And why they... First of all, let me tell you, your parents are not asking you to do that much, okay? Next step, paying bills. Get ready for that. They, they pay the bills so you can wash the dishes, you know, you can contribute to the family. But what we're really talking about and what Paul is talking about here and what he expects is an attitude of humility, okay? So kids, when you think about your parents, an attitude of humility, the same perspective that Jesus put on. But then he flips it around too and he talks to the parents and he says, uh, specifically to the fathers because they were in the leadership position. Verse four, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So provoking them to wrath would be the opposite of bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. If you don't bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, you will provoke wrath within them. So parents, it's, it's to take a humble perspective with our kids, a humble attitude with our kids, and to sacrifice ourselves for them. Now, that's not, in some cases, that's very natural. I know a lot of us kind of do that naturally. We would give ourselves up for our kids. And listen, kids, let me just say this like out loud. I don't think you understand how much your parents have sacrificed to have you and to raise you and to love you, all right? Their privacy for one thing. They've, they, they, we've, given, we've given, given that up. Not to mention how much you cost. For goodness sakes, do you know how much you cost? I know you don't, like, may not pay the bill when you go out to eat, but goodness, like it's gotten lately, it's gotten real bad. Like, that's why Jess and I went out on a date night last night, didn't take the kids. They eat like horses. And it, <laughs> so let's <laughs> just say, just think about your parents give so much for you, you know. And, but parents, we have to be careful that we don't slip into this mentality that our kids exist to serve us. That, that inconvenience thing, the thing I was talking about that I struggle with so much with our kids. I struggle just to, when I have plans, just even to set them aside to say yes to what my kids want to do. I, I struggle badly with that. But we are not to provoke them to wrath. We are to raise them in the training and admission of the Lord, which requires us to take a position, yes, of leadership, but of humble leadership humble leadership. So kids, listen, uh, obedience to your parents isn't supposed to be about control or being under their control, but about love and you serving them by listening to them, respecting them, and trusting them. Parents, your job is to disciple your kids. That's it. That's job number one before everything else. And to do that by using love and sacrifice, not by using control or suppression. When you chose to be a parent, you chose to put yourself in a role of sacrifice. So embrace it. Family as a whole, you're a team. You're a team. And we sacrifice for each other so that together we can grow in faith and hope and love as we were designed to. So don't go weary in it. And don't slide back into selfishness or self-centeredness. Be strong and continue. Keep it up. Church family, we're a team. 
We're here to serve and love and care for each other. We are here to move each other forward in our faith and encourage each other in faith and so that we can grow into the image of Jesus together as a group. We must treat each other the same way, and we need to serve each other as is fitting in the Lord, to give up our lives for each other. Uh, Peter is talking to the leaders in the church, but I think this applies to all of us as we think about our role. 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He's saying we're together in this. Second, or verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. We may or may not all be elders, but it doesn't mean we can't all act like them and choose to give ourselves up, not for vain glory or conceit, but humbly giving our life away for the people that we love. And only when we walk in that are we going to experience the kinds of relationships that God created us for. Now, I know we've all got different situations. We need to individually say, as for me, I'll give my life away. But that means something different in every single one of our lives because of the relationships that we have. And so we need to listen to the Spirit, what He wants us to do, what He wants us to say, how He wants us to change. So let's go to Him in prayer right now. And we're going to ask um, God to bless our time, but also ask the Spirit to speak to each of us so we understand how to take this and put it into practice in our life. All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you and um, are in awe of your love for us, love that you uh, didn't have to give, but you do because you are love. And so we thank you for that today, that you would give your son, Jesus, on the cross in our place to pay this penalty for our sin, that he would rise again on the third day back to life and power and victory. And that we, simply by believing in Jesus for salvation and trusting in him for salvation, can become your child. And so we thank you for that today. Now, maybe someone in this room would accept that for the first time today. And say, this is the kind of relationship that I want to be in. And so I accept Jesus as my Savior, his payment on the cross, and the life of his resurrection. And that we would learn to walk with you in in the humility, Jesus, that you walked in. So hard for us because our human nature, sin in the flesh, flows the other direction, pushes us away, pushes us into self-centeredness and selfishness. God, we ask that you forgive us of that and correct us every single time. 
allow the, the spirit to continue taking over the flesh in our hearts so that we can look more and more like Jesus. And as we look more and more like Jesus, our relationships with people would look more and more like our relationship with you. So God, we ask that you would lead us in this. Every single person in this room, all of our lives are different. Our relationships are different. Our histories are different. Our perspectives are different. And there's so much specific. And you know all of that. And because you know all of that, we, we can each come to you right now and ask for your guidance. Knowing that what you want from us, knowing that you want us to be humble like Jesus was humble. That we can listen and trust you in what we're supposed to do. What relationships we need to look at. How we need to look at ourselves and, and help us right now, God, to identify self-centeredness in our own life. To understand how we're supposed to proceed, whether that's changing things about us or about our schedule or our priorities or our passions or um, about the way we're relating to someone or speaking to someone, the time that we're spending with them. Help us to see what it means. What, what do you want us to say or do? What relationship is it where, where selfishness has crept in and has become the tone and is becoming unhealthy? And, and how do you want that to change? Also, that we can achieve what is the great purpose, which is to grow in our spiritual maturity, to grow in how much we look like Jesus, to be faithful to you, and to help the people that we love to do the same thing. So how do we do it? Tell us how to do it. How to actually put feet on this thing. And we need you to do that. So, so in this moment, get us started. As we walk forward, keep us going. Keep us focused. Help us to walk the path. And God, there's so many things that, that are going to happen and that may happen in our life. And today, we simply are going to make a resolution, an individual resolution, that as for me, I will give my life away. I want you to hear that from us, from our hearts right now. As for me, I will give my life away. God, bless that commitment as we walk it out. It's in your name we pray. Amen.